Ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do go it. For it. Um, <laughs> hello, world. Uh, I'm here with Christy. You're listening to the Reed Fletcher podcast. Christy, if you could uh, give us just a tiny intro about you. Sure, yeah. Um, my name is Christy Larson. I'm a mortgage loan officer. I work at a company called Security Home Mortgage. Um, we're what's called a wholesale correspondent lender. So we originate loans and we um, then pass the servicing to people, uh, places like Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank and, you know, uh-huh. the big guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I I call myself the mortgage mermaid on social I saw media. That. I saw so that. exciting. <laughs> Are you, when you, when you look around, you're in an office setting? Is that how yeah, it works? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, are you like really different than the typical loan officer? I mean, you have the different hair. You call yourself Hint of Nerd on Instagram. Yeah. All that. I don't know anything about loan officers, so that's yeah, all I'm asking. No. Uh, that's a legit question. I actually um, started in the industry um, a couple of years ago as the CFO assistant there, mm-hmm. and I kind of worked into like this HR accounting sort of role. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I just really, really enjoyed like how much like benefit the different um, things like you could do with mortgages could benefit people. Uh-huh. And so I got licensed and I originate and I'm actually doing a lot more than I ended up thinking that I would at this point in time. Um, and so I actually am a lot different in that sense where I actually have like a full time, like other job with like the HR and accounting. And then I do the loans also. So oh, so you do the HR and accounting in addition to is that what you're saying? Well, actually I started there. Oh, and then oh. in addition to that, I'm doing loans and it's like more and more. And who knows, eventually, maybe I'll just completely drop the other one. I really like it, doing loans. How long have you been doing it? Um, let's see. I've been licensed since 2017, so a couple of years. Is years. the licensing process pretty rigorous? Um, there's about 15 hours of education you have to do. Um, they do like extensive background checks and stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. you're dealing with people's personal information yeah. and you have to make sure you're not like some kind of convict or something, you know? Yeah. Something. Not going to run away with their <laughs> yeah, uh, like down a, payment. Oh, I know how I'll do my next week. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So, so there's like 15 hours of education and then you have to take um, a test and, you know, pay the money and get licensed and that hmm. kind of stuff. So the tests, you have to get like 80% on like most, you know, state level tests. So mm-hmm. yeah. So you get licensed in the different states. So I just do, I just originate in Utah. So. so you, my wife's from Arizona. Like if she wanted to buy a house in Arizona or California, we right. need to go to someone from that state in order to do it. Like, Not necessarily from, but they do have to be licensed there. Okay. So for example, my company itself is licensed in like California and Colorado and like the other states, but I myself am only licensed in Utah because I don't really have a reason to right, <laughs> license right. in other places but there are loan officers that i work with that are licensed in those places so you could you don't have to like go to a place that's located there mm-hmm. but you you could work with someone who lives in utah but they have a license in Arizona. right exactly because oh, okay. each state has like regulations that they have to follow so right right no i i figured and i know that's the same with real estate agents too right don't you have um, to yes. be licensed in each state Yep. Um, so most real estate agents you'd see here are like going to mostly just be in Utah right, because yeah. especially with how hands-on real estate work yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, it, it would kind of be silly to have a real estate 
license in California or have to drive 12 hours yeah, to like, just go like help a client. Skype someone. Yeah. Like, go check out the house yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Huh. So that's just a big part of that, um, that industry, I would say, or not industry, but that role is, you know, going with your clients to those places to make sure. Right. You know, they, they have the full picture. It's a little hard when you're not there. So. Yeah. No, I, I would imagine. But so for a loan officer, because you're not really, you're not so much selling something as you are just helping, right? Because right. no one comes to you. They're not like looking for a house or anything. Basically, they already have something mm -hmm. and you're the one who's just trying to get them the best loan, right? Right. Mm -hmm. An easy way to So they can so. shop like I can sell them my product as the best priced option. But, mm -hmm. you know, I it's something they're going to need inevitably if they're going to get into that yeah. house. <laughs> right. Unless right. they happen to have lots of cash, which is great, but most people don't. <laughs> right, yeah. Like $500,000. Yeah. You don't just buy this house in cash. Yeah, we're fine. Which, yeah, I mean, it can happen sometimes, you know, if you're like downsizing. Right. You know, from a larger house to a smaller house and you have, you know, like X amount in this house, it obviously covers a smaller right. house when you sell. So I guess that makes sense. Like, you know, grandparents or something. My grandpa, he bought his house in like 1950 mm -hmm. and sold it in 2005. Yeah. And so he ended up making like thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah. 500 grand uh, yeah. in cash and just right. put that right into his house. And, and he probably paid like 50,000 for it. Probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, like way back when. Yeah. And it was a ton for him. You know, oh, and sure. Yeah. And his mortgage is, you know, 125 bucks a month. <laughs> yeah. Which like we were like, oh, that's great now. But it was still a lot of money back then. Just as much as a mortgage payment would be now, probably. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess that it, that probably doesn't really change that much. It's just inflation, right? And so we hear it and we're like, oh, that's so mm -hmm. lucky. But in mm -hmm. reality, I guess it depends because something like um, uh, college is also more expensive in relation to inflation. You know, mm -hmm. because yeah. like back in the day, it was cheaper because of inflation, but also right, it's like way more than inflation now. Yeah. No, I get you. I'm following. <laughs> so basically, like, I mean, a pretty standard, it's not great to have like more than probably like 40, 50% in your like total debt to your income, like a percentage. Mm -hmm. And so in that respect, you have, you know, probably the same thing in the 50s where it was $100, but that still might have been 50% of his income. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. If he could have a job today, but live in the past. Yeah. That would be, be the sweet. perfect thing. Yeah. When time travel gets there, we'll all just be great. <laughs> That's funny. We'll just like wire this money back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, so one of the things that I've heard, like I, I have like the most, you know, basic level knowledge of getting a loan. I don't, I don't own property. I live mm -hmm. in an apartment. Um, but you mentioned debt, debt to income, which yeah. is a big one. Mm -hmm. Credit. Yeah. Um, like, are there other big things that people should worry about before they get their first home? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really good to consider how much you can bring into a house. There's definitely options that you can do like a zero down option. Uh -huh. But the interest rates rates will be higher because it's more risky uh -huh. um, and the payment's going to be more. And so in a lot of cases, it's still better because it's better than just paying $1,500 of rent to nothing that you don't right. get equity in. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas maybe you can get a house that's the same size for $1,600. And then if you like brought a down payment, it would only be $1,300. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So 
there's definitely some something to be said about if you can bring your own cash, you're going to pay less ultimately if you bring more to the table when you mm -hmm. start the loan. So basically, the bigger the down payment, the less your monthly payment. Right. I mean, probably simplified a little bit, but I mean, it's really the idea is the less the loan amount is, right. the lower the payment will be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, over your regular standard, which is thirty years. Yeah. For a mortgage. Um, yeah, and in addition, I mean, you could bring like 10% down or 20% down and maybe have a similar interest rate. But if you bring nothing down, then that's going to be like, that's going to jump mm -hmm. your rate up because it's just, if you bring less skin to the game, you know, the lender's going to consider that. And where there's great programs to make it possible for people to own homes, you're still going to pay a little bit more. So, Do you think uh, that that's worth it to not? fork over the down payment, but have in the long run pay more? Is it is it worth it to pay more? Well, you can always refinance. So for example, we own a condo <clears throat> in Pleasant Grove. Uh -huh. um, we bought it for like 160 a couple of years ago. And now it's like 220,000. So we haven't paid down 60,000 <laughs> because we've only had our loan for two years. Uh -huh. But like then because I have so much equity in there, you can refinance, which makes it less of a risk factor mm -hmm. for the lender. And so you can get like lower rates and those type of things. So if you think about it for paying more for maybe only two years, that's you know, pretty acceptable for most people yeah. because then they can then they can put it kind of can put them in a in a place where they can then uh, kind of catapult themselves into a better beyond future yeah, yeah. so i think it's if you can get into a house for a similar payment than you have now and you're still bringing nothing down i think you're winning personally but <laughs> right right no and it makes sense like because if if you're paying the same amount for rent you're paying the same amount for something you own at least right, you're, you're getting literally paying someone else's mortgage so you may right. as well pay your own yeah. if you qualify so for do you guys it. have renters out there is yeah mm -hmm. so we, we have renters currently there um has rent gone up since you've owned it Yes, just because everything's in such high demand here. So your mortgage, you're basically locked into your mortgage or better because you can refinance, but the rent can go up. It's like your cash True, flow. But will rent have... can also go down. That's a good point. And you could be locked into your mortgage for longer, like say with what we had happen in 2008, 2009. Sure. Where people were buying houses that were maybe 200000 that were then worth 150000 Obviously, you can't refinance that because you owe more than the house worth. Right. And right. so, you know, there's definitely some risk, just like any kind of investment. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely like tools that make it a lot more possible, I feel like, for people to feel more comfortable to get into yeah. a home. So... Uh, does that kind of answer? Yeah, yeah. No, I have a lot of questions about this kind of thing because <laughs> so me and my wife have been looking to to get our first property. Uh -huh. And we've really wanted to do investing, um, either house hacking mm -hmm. or just investing in general. Maybe get, we thought about doing like a fourplex and living in one of them yeah. and stuff like that. And so do you work with people like that usually? Do you work with um, more just residential homes? Yeah. So, I mean, there are lots of people. I don't know if they would. I don't know so much about like going into fourplexes. They're just so uncommon as it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know people that have bought duplexes as like their first home and they mm -hmm. put like the lowest down payment that they can or, you know, whatever it is. And then um, and then they live in one half and 
at the other half. And it's great for them because a, a good portion of their mortgage is paid by just the rent. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, one scenario was that I had somebody where their mortgage was like $2,000 for a duplex. They're living in one side, renting the other side for 1300 bucks. So and living for... <laughs> for like $700, you're like... Yeah. Uh maintaining this like piece of equity <laughs> uh, yeah exactly you know that's gonna really get do well for you later down the road so yeah when you got your condo um were there was there anything that surprised you about the process because it sounds simple like oh yeah, yeah. i just like <laughs> get a condo and then find renters and then you know get cash yeah. flow was there was there any hiccups that you, unexpected um i would say i was actually planning to like be in a place like Orem or something where I thought for sure, like, I won't have any <clears throat> problems. Hey, man, he can edit this out, so we're good. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so originally I had planned to um, get a place in Orem because to me that made sense with the students and like I was able to for sure like rent out a place and not have a problem yeah. with that and there's housing demands around there. Mm -hmm. um, but then as I did more research and we had a really good realtor that helped us, um, we discovered, well, actually that's probably not the best because you're going to have a lot more wear and tear on the property, a lot more turnover. Mm -hmm. The places that we were looking at were like not as expensive, but like they weren't really well kept or in like great neighborhoods or, you know, so there's kind of a risk factor there. Cause if you get something, it'll be always be rented. Like, don't get me wrong, right? but maybe you don't have like the renters that take good care of your house. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that I was surprised in that regard. And so this, so our condo in Pleasant Grove has worked out really well because it's like in a really nice um, condo complex, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like it's got all its grounds maintained and everything like that. And people are willing to pay more. Usually people that are willing to pay a little bit more are usually going to take care of things a little bit better. <laughs> and so that's definitely something I didn't think about. And um, not necessarily a hiccup in the process, but something I definitely learned that I felt yeah. like was a really useful piece of information. Do you have to pay an HOA fee down there? Yes. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they do like lawn care. And right. Mm -hmm. So an HOA usually will cover all of like the community stuff, obviously. It's got like a walls out insurance policy. So if there's like damage to the roof or something like that. And then sometimes it'll cover like garbage, sewer, water, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So it kind of depends on the HOA. But you said like like plumbing maybe or stuff like that? Like, that it'll cover? Yeah. Or is that on your own? In the, uh, so I was talking about just utilities. So um, usually HOAs won't cover all utilities. If they do, they're probably like $500 a month. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> but no, a normal range in Utah County is probably more like 150 to like 250 a month for an HOA. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be paying like <clears throat> sewer, uh, probably not gas, electric, because those are like more. Mm -hmm. um, but water, you know, they, they pay all that stuff as a whole. They so, operate the clubhouse, pool. Right, right. That kind of stuff, so. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I don't have to own a lawnmower. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> I've heard a little like, a little bit of mixed reviews on HOAs. I think it depends on the HOA, but sure. sometimes people say that they have really strict rules, you know, mm -hmm. like you can't have, you can't park in the street and stuff like that or, yeah. um, but for the most part I've heard good things. But what about like, let's say in your condo, 
um, you know, like a toilet breaks or something. Do you guys oh. have any kind of property management that takes care of that? Um, no, so that would be your own. Like, so it's with HOAs and, and places that are like all connected with their building, it's going to, they're going to have a walls out policy okay. that's covered by the HOA. And that's going to be things like your, your roof caves in or, <laughs> you know, it's just, or maybe something else from somebody else's property mm -hmm. comes in that, that actually is a gray area, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but then you have your own insurance policy. Okay. It's usually called an HO five, I believe. Um, and that's just like walls in, it's like 10 or $15 a month instead of like regular homeowners insurance, which is, you know, 50 to a hundred mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of range so right just because the the only i we've always wanted to like own rentals and and have tenants and stuff like that yeah and the only negative that i hear people say which i guess i don't know because i've never done it <laughs> is having to you know go in and and fix things and there's like expenses like sure. if the furnace goes out or something yeah. like that and have you had to deal with that kind of stuff at all or is it yeah covered? <clears throat> so actually in uh as we qualify for people to get mortgages, it's not considered breaking even unless you're charging at least um, like like your total expenses mm -hmm. can only be 75 percent of the rent in order to break even. Mm -hmm. So that means you're making an extra 25 and it's for things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yes, there are things like that. But if you've planned then it's really not so bad right? because you're making an extra 25 every month. And then when, when things come up, you have right. money. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's why like on my end of things, if I'm looking at somebody that has a rental property, I'm going to see how much are they charging for rent? What's their monthly HOA? What's their monthly payment? Are they breaking even? And mm -hmm. if not, it's like the, the excess is then considered as debt, like monthly debt to them. Right. So even though, they don't really have a $1,500 a month expense. Mm -hmm. To me, they have to because they have to consider that 25 of extra for maintenance. Right, right. Because so. like a capital expenditure kind of thing. Maybe once every 10 years, some big expense might happen right. as well. Mm -hmm. And now if you have to pay it, it's like you just lost. You weren't calculated that since the beginning. Right. You might have not actually made any profit yeah. in the <clears throat> 10 years. Yeah. And it could be that like if there's issues at the beginning that that would be a struggle. But if uh -huh. you've been renting for a long time and you've had some like a stash of money. <laughs> yeah. Like we just had to replace a fridge and it was like a huge deal because mm -hmm. we've charged more. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh -huh. you know, to it in order to break even essentially mm -hmm. and have that mortgage pay for itself and that house essentially pay for itself. Hmm. Do you guys plan on doing Is that the only one you have? Do you have a other properties. That's the one we have right now. We will be we'll be doing more though for sure. Yeah, I, I've, <clears throat> yeah. everyone I've talked to is like, it's just, you know, when you haven't done something yet and it almost sounds too good to be true. I'm like, there's yeah. got to be something because <laughs> all my friends that do it, they're telling me, oh no, yeah, it's awesome. Like I, yeah. I own all these properties and they mm -hmm. basically they pay themselves off and it's only a little bit of maintenance and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And you can pay property managers too to do stuff for you. Like you own the property and they take three percent of the rent. You know, mm -hmm. and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> like the one that scares I mean, you have me. have to foot the bill, but like, yeah. it's very not stressful. Uh, <laughs> Too good to be true. Yeah. Mm. Um, what was that? What were you saying? 
I was just so distracted by my spitting. Like, <laughs> didn't, don't actually know. Yeah, I had like. to go pretend to turn off the camera because really I was wiping off. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the camera's, uh, that's really funny. Um. Yeah, you were saying you're in, there's got to be a catch. Is that what you're yeah, saying? I, yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's just like the skeptic in me. But. Oh, property management. You said there's something that really scares you. The one that really scares you. Oh, yes. The thing about property management that really scares me is uh, evicting. Oh, sure. Yeah, but again, I think that kind of comes with like the kind of property you're mm. renting. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I've, I like my sister has some rental properties and I know people with that have had rental properties that it just seemed to kind of attract the same kind of people that they're having right. to evict. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so it kind of depends on what you're, I think it really comes down to what you've initially invested in. Uh -huh. And so if you've invested in like maybe something with a nicer area, that's more expensive that, you know, has, you know, then you're going to have less of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Is you kind of get what you pay for. Right. And it's, I mean, it might be like stereotypical and, you know, to say that about different areas, but really you'll, you'll know if you go into a house and it looks trashed before you buy it, then you're going to charge less mm -hmm. and probably they're not going to care because it already is trash, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's my take on that, I guess. <laughs> Have you ever thought about uh, any other like real estate ventures, like flipping or wholesaling. It's too hard. It's a totally different thing, <laughs> I right? I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole skill set. Yeah, it's that's a lot more hands-on work. Whereas with what I feel like what we're doing with the housing stuff, it's like we can buy a house, live in it as a primary residence, mm -hmm. and until we're ready to move on to our next space and rent it. You know. You mm -hmm. get better interest rates, better down payments, better everything when it's a primary. Mm -hmm. You get into a mortgage. It's a really good mortgage. And you can rent it out in five years when you're ready to yeah. upsize or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's just a lot of not maintenance. <laughs> yeah, so, it's very passive. And I think like flipping houses, I think is risky because... I've seen a lot of failed flips yeah, <laughs> and stuff where they buy and it's way more extensive than they planned. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you're all in, you're like hard money cash. Like, and if you can't make, make it on the flip, like you lose a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's a really and good time. Thing. And time. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Like that's not even considering the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, the difference that I see, because I have never really thought about flipping or wholesaling or, or anything like that either. The reason being is like in order to be an investor and have, uh, you know, tenants and everything, it seems like you need a lot of upfront knowledge and research and then kind of you can move on with a little bit of maintenance. But yeah. in order to do like a flip, you need to have really a lot of connections. Make, yeah. And you need to trust your contractors. You need to stay on top of that. Like it's yeah. just. It's like a career. That alone oh, is yeah. what people do for. That's yeah. probably why it's like really lucrative for the mm -hmm. people that can do it. But it's yeah. not just like, I it, should flip a house this weekend. Yeah, you know? it is not for the faint of heart, I would say. <laughs> like kudos to the house uh -huh. flippers, but I will never do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a specific type of person. And I'm grateful because I feel like they, they really can improve areas, mm -hmm. you know? 
Like people that go in and are like, okay, I'm investing, yeah. I'm flipping a house, I'm making this community better mm-hmm. because I'm improving this residential whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's really beneficial, but not for me. <laughs> yeah. I have some some friends that do like kind of half and half. So they'll go to a rental property, fix it up, mm-hmm. refinance it, and then rent it out. Sure. So then they keep it, which I guess, again is a big upfront time commitment and all sure. that stuff because you have stuff to fix and everything. Mm-hmm. But then instead of just taking the big chunk of cash to sell it, now they just have a higher rent because they basically made the area nicer, right. or the property nicer. Yeah, so people are willing to pay more because it's updated and nice. Yeah, and yeah. Has but then all their stainless steel appliances. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the white walls and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the biggest questions that I have personally. I've, I think I have pretty good credit. Like I've worked on it for a long time. I've never made any big mistakes or anything. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, what are, what's the advice that you give to people probably yeah. that every day to, to establish credit and to improve their credit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the credit scores we like to work with are over 640. Okay. If you get below, it's a little bit harder. Your interest rates are higher and you know, things like that. Um, the number one <laughs> culprit I would say that people are totally unaware of is their balance to um, their the total limit they can take out on credit cards. Mm-hmm. If that ratio is over like 25, 30%, then that's considered high balance and it dings your credit. Really? So if you, Didn't I mean, it that. doesn't, it's not like it makes it so you have bad credit in and of itself, but that's like, one of the things where if I pull somebody's credit, it's like, okay, there are a couple things we should work on. That's always one of them. <laughs> like that it floats at that level or that it ever reaches so, that? So that it say they just like kind of run a $4,000 balance on a 5,000 limit. Uh-huh. So that's, you know, they're, they're running that pretty high. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so that just shows where it's funny. If, if you go ahead and you up that limit to 20,000, then you're only at 20 something ish percent. Uh-huh. And it's, doesn't hit your credit. <laughs> Ironically, you owe the same amount right. but because you could. It seems like more financially responsible to have lower limits on your credit cards, <laughs> right? There are a few things with the credit bureaus that it's like, but really, <laughs> right. why are you in charge again? Yeah, like, like, that doesn't really add up. <laughs> no, but but it is a thing. Um, the other thing is um, old accounts. People are like, oh, it's definitely financially responsible. It's like, go ahead and close old accounts. Don't do that. Because you want your accounts to have a long credit, healthy history. Interesting. If it's got a bad history, close it. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. let, let's get that off Delete your credit. It. Yeah. <laughs> Which it takes like seven years to like fall off your credit naturally after it stops reporting. Um, so anyway, it's uh, the, the longer your credit history is, the better. Also, if you have like an old Kohl's card <laughs> mm-hmm. that you haven't used in like 10 years, it's better if you can, I mean, to go to Kohl's every once in a while, put a balance on there and, and pay. you don't have to pay interest on it, but just like mm-hmm. keep it going. Right. So, so that, it's active. Right. So that when your credit, I mean, basically you want to pull credit and look like there's this, this healthy history, you know, and for most people, they're, they're pretty responsible, but there's not really for a way to the bureau, for the bureaus to really determine that unless they have like open accounts that are actively reporting uh-huh. you know what i mean yeah yeah so, so um like it's better to to maybe spread yourself a little bit wider if you're responsible right. like have five credit cards but not right. get in deep with but them but then 
if you forget to make your payments because you have five credit cards, <laughs> right. you know. Uh-huh. So obviously late payments are, are mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, 30 days are not as bad as like 60 and 120 days, mm-hmm. but all of them are bad and they yeah. your credit like so much. So no lates, do not do that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you can stay on top of it and some people it's like, no, I can only do one credit card. Mm-mm, nothing else. Like I'm not going to risk, you know, and that's fine. Like, that's yeah, fine. The but if you really thing. want to like maximize your credit and you can handle it, then get five or six credit cards, keep them with low balances, like trade off where you're buying things, keep them active, keep them liquid and going. So you're saying like a good thing you could do is get five different credit cards and put like Netflix on one and maybe like <laughs> you your gas on another yeah. one. Yeah. And then couldn't you just make them automatic payments so that you, you wouldn't just, really risk? But sometimes people don't do that. So. I, yeah, that's what I've never understood because so. <laughs> I hear a lot of fear about credit cards and yeah. I don't, I don't really get it because... Can't you just like set it automatically and not work? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, the, I mean, the credit cards make money when you can't afford to pay off what you've purchased. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that can, you know, be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just like, this is what you spend anyway, mm-hmm. you may as well put it on the credit cards and, right. and keep paying it off yeah. with your income. Obviously, if you are only making $1,000, don't spend five hundred dollars at the mall yeah or you're just gonna have a high balance and take like 10 years you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like uh-huh. and in the meantime pay the 14 percent interest rate or whatever yeah, your exactly. credit card basically is. never catch up to it yeah. right so if you're you know if you're doing it in a really like strategic way it can really pump you up so credit cards are kind of like i'd say third tier and like vehicles cars like personal loans that's like second okay. and then mortgages like can be your highest so uh i just paid off our car and my friend who uh works with loans told me that that actually might not be good for my credit because it's no longer right so he's talking about like the open accounts and things like that but you also don't want to pay interest on a car so like yeah to each their own i'm not gonna keep my car open just to like make my credit be 10 points higher you know yeah and i don't know how (laughs) at this point can i even do that can i like well you paid it off so unless you like started another (laughs) or like took back the payment i've never heard of doing that i know i'm trying to think like (laughs) but then at the same time you have like a new account instead of an old account so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Anyway. So for, for like the average person, best thing to do is if they're responsible and that's kind of the caveat for everything, <laughs> like right, get, be responsible. Like, but like, if you're, I'm not saying get five credit cards and put like $10,000. Right. Right. <laughs> but like if you're disciplined about it and you're, you're doing this on purpose, you could get right. five credit cards, keep a low balance, always pay them off. Yeah. Um, that'll build your credit. Is there anything else? Uh, other tips? Um, the, the balances is one, the, the, uh, account length is definitely one so oh yeah those are usually the top three that i have people consider obviously if you've got like collections and things on your credit Mm -hmm. then that's gonna hurt it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um collections can be tricky because they'll be reporting and they take like you know once you finally pay it off then it takes like seven years to like drop so like there will be just a collection forever yeah (laughs) and so um but they're tricky because lots of times collections um so say you owe like five thousand dollars they'll offer like a payoff for like twenty five hundred so it's like looks good right because you're 
your life. Hey, I can pay this off. I'll be good. I'll uh, have paid it off. You know, I don't have to pay an extra 2,500 bucks, mm -hmm. which is nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on your credit, it's not going to say that it was paid in full. So that's going to hurt your credit until it falls off. <laughs> right. So it's collections. If you can just avoid that altogether, yeah. obviously that's great. But then once you get there, there are so many, there's a lot that can happen with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's not like a great answer, but I would definitely say to anyone that has that, make sure you're like really researching what's, what's going to happen. Like are, if you do pay off something, like what, what are they going to report actually? Are they going to, you know, stop, you know, you need to, you need to make sure that you know what's going to happen to your credit first yeah. before you do it. Cause it can definitely hurt your credit because it's showing as paid like but not in full uh-huh you know so that just shows your next creditor well are they gonna right bail <laughs> like, yeah am yeah. i gonna lose 2500 bucks on them mm -hmm. <laughs> so and i i've wondered this before too like as a loan officer are you on the line for bad creditor or uh creditors people that you give credit like to bad or... loans yeah so like sure yeah like how do how does that work because like if you you're looking through it and you're basically are you the one who's actually like analyzing hey can this person afford this right i see what you're saying so i do it initially but then it has to go through like the mortgage gods that are the underwriters mm -hmm. <laughs> and then from there um like if we were to pass the servicing to like us banking then they default they're they're gonna give it right back to us and we're gonna be financially responsible for that okay so there's definitely risks in things that we do as loan officers so is it more subjective than people know like do you do things different than other loan officers so, um, like pretty analytic there are regulations across the board that pretty much everybody follows mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely some like um some loans that are like not standard loans that you can get that are like higher risk and different things and mm -hmm. aren't really like industry standard. There's definitely that too. But I would say most loan officers like know, like if I, if I'm competing with somebody on like a, on a, on a mortgage, right? So I've got like my estimate, they've got their estimate. If my borrower comes to me and says, they're going to do this program, this is what they're saying, then I know exactly what they're talking about mm -hmm. because it's all like, the same <laughs> yeah does that make sense yeah how, so how do you differentiate yourself is that pretty hard in the industry um so a big thing is fees and service uh -huh. quickness yeah uh -huh. <laughs> like if somebody's needing to get into a house and the seller is not willing to do like two months which is what like a credit union takes <laughs> to uh -huh. do a loan okay i might be exaggerating a little bit but they take a lot longer typically at like credit unions right so that definitely can set us apart because we can get a loan done in like three weeks, you uh -huh. know, like sometimes shorter, depending on what the situation is. But three weeks is a pretty good amount of time to get a loan done. So I, I usually tell people four, just, just to yeah, <laughs> make them happy at the but end. But to get done in three weeks is like not unreasonable. So like it means that like you need to like get me stuff when I tell you to like yeah. pay stuff. But like, <laughs> yeah. What kind of things do people, obvious general things that they need when they come meet you for the first time? Yeah. So to do like a pre-qualification, we either have to pull credit or mm -hmm. if you have an idea of where your credit is and like what your minimum monthly payments are for things, 
You have to know that information. Minimum so like, monthly payments. If you've you got five credit cards. Oh. And they each have a minimum monthly payment of $25 a month. Okay. I basically have to calculate what is their financial obligation from their other creditors. So I can do that by pulling credit. Or if people are not ready and they're just trying to get an idea, I'll usually like take their word for what their credit is and say, but if your credit report comes back and if this, you're is lying. Not, this is not my fault. <laughs> yeah. Be honest for your own benefit. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so usually I won't pre-qualify somebody, like give them a letter and everything. Well, okay, I don't, I would not do that because that would be very misleading. Mm -hmm. Um, so usually lenders will give somebody like a pre-qualification letter once they've calculated everything, pulled credit, like mm -hmm. half the financials and they'll like sign it. Realtors will take it around and make offers with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Saying they've already been pre-approved. So like, you know, you can, this, this offer isn't because what it happens all the time where people accept an offer and then their buyers fall through their financing does. So right. having a pre-qualification letter is pretty good. So if somebody's not there yet and just trying to get an idea of like, okay, how much do I need to save or how much, you know, then I'll just kind of get an idea of where their credit's at. So that's going to be their score. That's going to be what their minimum monthly payments are. You need to know how much they can bring to the table for a down payment if they're not trying to do like a zero down program. Mm -hmm. um, and I need to know their income. So that would be like bank statements, bank statements, income, like pay stubs, W-2s, um, driver's licenses. They have to be like legitimate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so those are usually the documents is, is ID, bank statements, pay stubs and pulling credit, um, uh, pulling credit or, you know, the general idea that they can give me. Mm -hmm. So that's usually initially what we have to start. And then once they get a contract going, if they're buying a house, then we get the contract and then we have to get all sorts of other stuff. <laughs> and you're all, like all the way along the process? Yes. You're... Yeah. So it's me and then I have a loan processor. There are a lot of things that I actually can't do myself <laughs> right. for legal stuff. I just have to get verifications and things like that. I have to not just like go off of pay stubs, I need to like call their employer and say, hey, do they actually like work here and make this money? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> can you provide this verification for me? So can you uh, have, can your income be verified by a job you have not started yet? It can be, yeah. Um, in some cases, it kind of depends on if it's gonna be like a variable hourly or if it's gonna be a salary. Like it's it's a lot safer, obviously, if it's salary. Mm -hmm. But if you have a letter from an employer saying they'll be starting on this date, it's not contingent on anything. You know, like it's not contingent on they have to pass this test or, mm -hmm. you know. Then, like they already have an acceptance. Right. Because I thought for some reason that you had to have like two years of. You do have to have a, an employment history of two years, yes. Okay. But say you're in school for like engineering mm -hmm. for like five years, that yeah. counts as like being in the field. Ah, so okay. If you were in school for that amount of time, you prove it with transcripts and then you're like starting a job in two months mm -hmm. and we get a letter from your employer saying, yep, that's legit. Then we can totally do a loan on that. Okay. And then like as a follow-up, get like your first pay stub from them. As long as you're starting within X amount of time, whatever. Okay. The loan closes. Yeah. So I've been confused by that because, you know, if you're moving somewhere and like if you're moving across the country for a job, then oh, sure. you want to buy a house across the country, then mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense for me. How would you have history 
at that right. company, but you, it's just work history. It's work not history. Yeah. Yeah. You're not supposed to have more than a six month gap of okay. unemployment. Like that's unexplained. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes it'll be like, I took medical leave or I'm on uh-huh. active duty for the military. I don't know. Like yeah. there's a lot of reasons why. Well, that kind of stuff is valid, right? They would say sure, like, yeah. if you had a medical problem, that wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, really when it comes down, down to mortgages and like what you're approved for, like if it makes sense mm-hmm. and you have like a substantial case to say so, mm-hmm. like it's, it usually is going to work out fine. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've been like, paid under the table from your employer for 20 years and like we can't prove your income like i i'm sorry your employer wasn't that legit but like that that's the most like negative thing i can see that's uh-huh you know not that kind of screws over a borrower i guess that isn't like uh their fault you know what i mean mm-hmm. but most of the time if if there's like something that's explained and like your situation makes sense then it's going to go through. Unfortunately, if your employer was doing that, then your situation is then not making sense. <laughs> and that sucks, but it's true. I wonder that too about like, um, you know, people that do like day workers who do stuff for, um, will go like work in like yard work or something like that right. or go help build. Um, they just get like paid in cash. So if they report it on their taxes, then I can prove it on their taxes. Right. But if they don't, then I can't do anything about that. Which I guess seems fair because then if they're not paying taxes on it, Yeah, probably... it's like, well, if you didn't report, I'm sorry, you can't buy a house. Like... Exactly. Like, that seems like a, small, like a price to pay to be able yeah. to buy a house. Exactly. You know, but there's, yeah, the one, and like I, I already mentioned it, it's the one that is really, it's really a hard pill to swallow is if you do have like a more sketchy employer. It's like, oh, I'll pay you this base salary plus a bunch of overtime, but I'm going to give you all the overtime in cash. Yeah. You know, and not track it. So, uh-huh. so that I don't have to pay any taxes on it. Right. Exactly. 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 So it's unfortunate, but that happens. So even though, yeah, they make way more than they need to, to own that house. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, you can't just say, well, well, he says he pays you. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you got to look under my mattress. There's tons of money in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually another thing people need to consider too, is usually with, well, actually not, not usually every time. You need to have at least a month of like seasoned cash for us to like. What do you mean? So it has to be like showing in a bank account or be tracked some way. So mm-hmm. if you had it in a 401k and pulled it out, like we have to see where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise we could be like super like after they could be after us for money laundering. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, cause people could, I mean, they could potentially be selling a bunch of drugs Buy a house right. and be like, oh, I brought all this cash. <laughs> I had it in the bank. I just did like a two, two $20,000 deposit uh-huh. one day ago. You yeah, know, yeah. like, huh. so that is something actually to consider is if you do have your money stashed under the mattress, <laughs> which sounds funny, but people do that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, like underneath the oak if tree. You're try- <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to you know, like liquidate that and put it into something like it needs to show that it's like a legitimate source of funds. So put it into a bank account or something. Yeah. At least. So I would say before you're trying to, before you're trying to get a loan, just make sure you're, you're 
it's not like, oh, I have this huge random deposit that I can't source. Mm -hmm. You know, like <laughs> seems pretty like, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just make sure nothing looks like that or it's just a hassle for you. But hmm. yeah, obviously if you've got like your payroll coming in every time, then we're like, oh well, they make two thousand dollars every two weeks and, and we can see that, then that's gonna be fine. But if all of a sudden it's like, well, 50k yeah. all right uh -huh. <laughs> it's like oh it's for my dad well that's legitimate but your dad's gonna have to write us a letter saying that that's legit right. and we're gonna have to see it coming out of his bank account uh -huh. going into you have to trace it somehow right exactly so that is something you know i i like to tell people if they're a couple months out because you just need that time to make sure it's legit hmm. and right before someone gets pre-qualified would you recommend basically paying down your credit cards to their lowest limit and just so it shows even more. Sure. Like last minute. The only minute. issue is every credit card company reports differently. Okay. So like usually they're only in a report like once a month mm -hmm. at the beginning of the month. So mm -hmm. if you do that and then come to me the next day and I pull your credit, that's not what it's going to say. <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> Can't do it like an hour before. So you could do that. Yeah, you could make it so your credit is, is more to your advantage mm -hmm. for sure, but it takes a little bit more yeah. planning. So. Yeah. Do you do a lot of creative loans? Do you do any, anything non-standard? Um, yeah, it kind of depends on uh, the situation. I guess, are you thinking of a specific scenario or? Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was saying like, oh yeah, you can get really creative on loans. Like I, I, what was it? I know that you can get kind of creative on contingencies to protect yourself. Sure. Or like, hey, I'll pay this much if you, I'll, I'll pay even more if we do seller financed or stuff like that. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, there's definitely some creative ways to get into houses with loans. Like, I mean, there's we need to get through underwriting like we do all of the upfront work and then our processors verify all of our upfront work and then our underwriters verify all of our work and then it's perfect. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so there's like a lot, a lot of stuff. But like if you're talking real estate where it's like, OK, I have a three percent down payment. That's all I have. I can't pay closing costs because obviously you're going to have to pay like some lender fees and some title fees. And we're going to have to get what's called an escrow account set up for your hazard insurance and taxes and all that. Like we have to be able to pay those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so if you're in that situation where you're like, I do not have this much money for closing costs, then you can have your seller pay for those. So say they're trying to sell their house for like 150. Mm -hmm. That's really low. Let's do 250. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you offer two fifty two, and ask him to pay five thousand in closing costs. Okay. Like there, I think that's what he was probably I saying. See. Where you can get creative with, I can't get into a house right now, but I can get a zero down payment. Mm -hmm. Like I can get into that program, and I can have my seller pay my closing costs. Then, lots of people can get into a house that maybe didn't think that they could. <laughs> right. So, um, this might be kind of putting you on the spot, but. I'll just give you like some some averages, I guess, and maybe you could tell me what you think they could pre-qualify for. Is that possible? Like of income? <laughs> like let's say, I mean, average income is like what fifty thousand in the U.S. Sure. Let's say someone's making fifty thousand. They've got a seven hundred credit score. Mm -hmm. They their in, I mean, their income fifty thousand. They're making what like uh, six thousand, five thousand, five thousand a month. Mm -hmm. They're and they're. Debt is 
I don't know, a thousand? Is that reasonable? Like sure, yeah. So like two car payments. Yeah, <laughs> two car payments. Yeah. Um, what in Utah? What do you think they could qualify? For? Am I missing a um, factor? No, that's that's a pretty good. Um, I'm not technically actually supposed to quote things like that without oh. having all the information, but I'll give you a really general window, so <laughs> we're okay. Um, like you'd probably be somewhere between like two twenty five. 260-ish mm -hmm. on like a purchase price for that. Mm -hmm. And that's being conservative. <laughs> right. It also, well, it also depends on your down payment, right? Right, what you can bring to right. it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you can qualify for it, 250 loan amount and you have $100,000 to put on your down payment, then obviously that's going to be a 350 right. for yeah. you. <laughs> Instead of, you know, like maybe a, a three or, or a two sixty because you only have X amount or whatever. Hmm, gotcha. Cool. So um if people want to reach out to you, can I how can I give them your information sure. on this? How can they reach yeah. out to you? Like to get a loan through you or you know be your yeah. client or whatever? How should they reach out to you? Um usually people just message me on Facebook or they can text me or call me. My number is eight oh one three five eight. Five six one three. <laughs> so they should message you on Facebook if they want to yeah, get along through you. Find me on like as Mortgage Mermaid or whatever. Mortgage they can Mermaid. Message. I get a lot through there, and then um, yeah, or just referrals that people have given my number. Awesome. So <laughs> awesome. Well, um, Mortgage Mortgage Mermaid, Christy. Thank you for for being on the for show. Sure. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>